When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? Good, Connie. You look like a college professor this morning. Those glasses on. Man, I, uh, I needed it all of a sudden my eyes needed a rest from the contacts. So today's my last day in glasses. I'll go back to contacts. So I won't be four eyes next week. I'll look pretty again for you, Jim. Oh yeah. You're a pretty boy with these cheeks. Uh, oh God. These cheeks. <laughs> exactly. Hey, you can't short change the cheeks, brother. You got, you got uh double digits. So you're like me, you know, what the hell? Uh, but good. I'm glad uh, you're having your things are good. I know. Ad free networks busy. I, I see all the projects. My God, it's amazing the work you guys put out. I'm really uh, proud to be affiliated with. We uh, we've had a lot of fun, man. Not only do you get all of our shows here early and ad free, but the bonus content we come up with. Like we recently just had FTR come on and break down their one on one match from Dynamite a few weeks ago, and uh, do a little Q and A with fans and. And it's the ultimate experience. If you're a wrestling fan and you want to have interaction with some of your favorite hall of famers or stars from the day. And we got your old radio shows and some old hotlines and just a lot of fun stuff. And, um, and it's affordable. It is man. It starts at just nine bucks a month. Yeah. And it's not available. Nine bucks, nine bucks a month is what it gets you in. Come on. That's, that's not even two Starbucks. Yeah. Uh, well, I, uh, all I know is, is that you're, you're right on, right on point about if you're a fan, you're going to love it. I, that's not, a, that's not hyperbole. Uh, I believe that to be very true. And, but the other thing is, is that you can kind of create your own menu. Yes. Uh, and shop, you know, you might be more interested in, uh, in, uh, you know, Eric Bischoff's podcast than, than ours or another. So what, uh, that's the, that's the beauty of this thing. So I, I, I believe it's, uh, if you're a fan, you got to do it, man. You just got to, it's just, it's just too handy. And my God, you can, it, it travels with you. You know, you, there's all kinds of positives to this thing. So I heard, I harder, heartily, is that a word? Yeah. Hardly. Well, yeah. Maybe I thought I just made another one up that way. It showed my ignorance even more profound. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I just think it's a way to go nine bucks a month. You gotta be kidding me. That shouldn't even be part of the decision. Check it out for if you try Conrad, if you can't afford $9, we need to talk about other issues in your life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. You're saying adfreeshows.com is a great value and you should check it out. And we're glad that you're you checking go. out our podcast today because 
Jim, I teased this last week, but we're talking about a show I actually attended yeah. uh, 20 years ago this week was Judgment Day 02. And this is the first official World Wrestling Entertainment pay per view after the name change. There's just so much to unpack here. Unpack. I, I love the idea that we're getting the, the moment to talk about the name change. Bruce and I talked about it a little bit in years past, but man, the WWF was so branded, you know, these days, if you and I were to go to lunch, somebody might say around us, I mean, I think we'd probably both order water, but somebody might say, Hey, I'll have a Coke please. And, and the server might say, we serve Pepsi. And the guy right. who placed the order might say, Oh, that I'll, that's even better. And it's almost like, well, if you wanted Pepsi, why did you say Coke? Because Coke is the brand. If you and I were to get a nick or cut today, we might say, oh man, I need to get a Band-Aid. Well, that's a brand. It's a bandage that we really need, but a brand is Band-Aid. And yeah. a Kleenex is a brand. The WWF, if you were to tell somebody, oh yeah, my son's training for wrestling. You mean that WWF stuff? That's what they would say. And now all of a sudden, we got to get the F out. And I can't believe after all of the incredible legal battles that Mr. McDivitt has won over the years, he takes a L to the Panda. I didn't see yeah. this coming. I know why that happened. Uh, if you want to know, let's do, yeah, it was, it, the, the court was in England. He didn't have, uh, McDivitt didn't have the McDivitt stroke in England that he would have in Pittsburgh or New York city. Like he has had a great success as you mentioned, I think he's the best lawyer I've ever even Met. Yeah. Uh, he's just amazing. But the, because all the hearings were England based, you know, the, the, uh, the panda, those panda dudes are, there were, uh, that's an English company. And, and people stood up for the taking care of the animals and in their own country. And so these, uh, powerful foreigners coming over and disrupting things. So I think that was the deal. The home field advantage had a distinct advantage in that particular case. And I'm not just defending Jerry, but I know how good Jerry is, but he never got a foothold in that thing because of, you know, it's hard to sway at a, a very, uh, you know, an audience that's very prejudiced. Sure. So it's, it was kind of ironic in the court system. He, he got, he got, we got bit in the ass there by the prejudice. So anyway, it's, uh, yeah, it was an interesting time. I, I remember, I think it was the first time, uh, we had a producer. She's great too. Jennifer good. Uh, one of my favorite people to ever work with, and she's really smart and, uh, got a little family growing right up there. I think she lives in Vermont or somewhere in that neighborhood, but she's no longer a WWE, but she was a player it, and the respect of getting things done. So she says, uh. We, we, we come and do our first on camera and guess what I'm wearing an old shirt with uh, WWF on that didn't go over very well in the home office. And, and unfortunately she got her ass chewed, uh, because it was her responsibility to make sure that we were all buttoned up, so to speak. So I had a WWF shirt on If I don't know if I had it on this show or, or, or one before this, I'm not sure. If this is the first uh, WWE show we did, then I had the wrong shirt on on the show and it didn't go over well. Uh, I wouldn't pay attention. God damn it. God damn it. JR. Son of a bitch. Pay attention. Okay. I will. Thanks for the 
moving positive words prior to going on the air. So I could really have some momentum to build on. So anyway, that was that deal, but it, it was a cluster. It was a cluster and I don't have any millions of dollars WWE spent on that transition. It was scary numbers. I mean, we're talking, it's not a million dollars. Don't even touch it. So it was a, a lot of, a lot of cash, everybody. But anyway, it was an interesting time to be in the wrestling business. Uh, and, uh, unlike some of those shows we did just recently on the WCW stuff, uh, it actually had interest. There's something to talk about. So anyhow, it'll be fun to talk about this today. I like that show. This is a fun show. We're coming off backlash, which we covered last month. Uh, and it's like, what's old is new again, back in 1991, coming off the survivor series and the WWF, uh, we ran a, an experiment called Tuesday in Texas. And the story was Hulk Hogan defeated or was defeated rather by the undertaker, uh, with a little help from Ric Flair and takers first ever title shot and title run here because he wins the belt. Yeah. So because it was a quote unquote screw job, the Tuesday pay-per-view is built off the finish and it's going to end up of course, with Hogan regaining the title from taker after interference from Paul Bearer, and the title winds up being held up. And the result is an incredible Royal rumble, 1992. And here we are 10 years later. And who's on top of the cards again? Well, the undertaker, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. This is interesting because you know, the WWF, as soon as Hogan was out of here, started marketing the new generation and we started to go younger from say 93 forward. And then by the late nineties, we were all about attitude with stone cold and, and DX and the rock. But now we find ourselves in O2 trying to figure out, okay, what now? And it's almost like we just press rewind. And when you guys were at the height of the Monday night wars, you couldn't help, not you, but the company couldn't help, but say, oh, you don't want to watch that age in a cage talking about guys like Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. And now, well, things have changed. They're a part of us now. So we're going to promote them. It's, uh, the winds of change are here in the company. Are they not? Yeah, I think it speaks volumes to the standpoint that, you know, I, I preach it all the time. Every promoter's obligation is to continue to develop new talent that can headline cards. So in other words, it's incumbent on every wrestling guy to continue to seek out and develop and discover, if you will, uh, the, uh, new talents. Wrestling fans are no different than any other consumer. Why people think we live on Uranus or someplace and we just come down and watch wrestling. Then we go back to Uranus. Uh, we're just regular guys like you, me, we're just regular people. We just have to be, uh, have some, have some interesting vocations or sidelines or whatever. So, uh, man, I, I, I just know they want new. And so this speaks volumes in the standpoint that none of these guys are new. Are, well, are they great stars? Hell yeah. Of course. But we may have ridden that horse too long. I think we did. Well, let's talk about, you know, the real issue here. You know, we just had WrestleMania 18 where Hulk Hogan and the rock just absolutely tore it up and people voted with their mouths. They were so loud and, yeah. and so supportive of Hulk Hogan that we had to bring black, bring back the old red and yellow. And so now this is almost like the old school comeback tour. And it's been said over the years by Bruce Pritchard and others that nostalgia is great once, 
Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't think that you can do it over and over and over. Is that sort of your same rule of thumb that yeah. it's cool once, but maybe not on a regular it's, basis is look, first of all, reintroducing Conrad, the, uh, let's say the attitude error, for example, in, in some form, well, that's not new either. Right. That's nostalgic. And so consequently, uh, we're, we're, we're swimming upstream again. Uh, but it's, it's, so let's say, let's give it the benefit of the doubt and say, it's new. The first time it's re uh, it's re, uh, uh, introduced. So, okay. I, some people that, that had different birthdays and they're younger or old, and they didn't see all this stuff. I get that, but it's not new the second time. So you got one shot at that deal. So Bruce, I believe Bruce is right. Finally about something, uh, no kidding. Uh, and, uh, you know, and it's just a hard. It's a hard sell for me to say you can build a whole thing back on nostalgia because I don't think you can, but I think you can get by with a nostalgia feel show once after that you're lazy. It's lazy booking in my opinion. Well, Jim, I don't mind telling you, uh, we've got some nostalgia that we're bl- we're planning to book at the end of July. I don't know that you heard the news, but, uh, Starcast is back. It's going to happen SummerSlam weekend in Nashville. We're going to have the roast of Ric Flair on Friday night. And then on Sunday night, Jim Crockett promotions is going to return for one night only. It's going to look and sound and feel look just like it did in the heyday of the mid eighties. And Ric Flair is going to have his last match. So. I hope you'll forgive me, but I too am going to promote nostalgia one time. That's it. And that's a great idea. You put together a great package, you know, the opportunity. And I know fans are, are historically skeptical when somebody says, uh, blank is going to have his or her last match. Right. That's a, sometimes that could be an eye roller. Uh, but I, I think that's just an absolutely phenomenal package. Uh, the roast will be, uh, I'm sure hilarious. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I watch, I don't know about you. I, when I have some spare time, sometimes when I go on Facebook or something and just start to look, mm-hmm. see what's hot, what people are talking about. Uh, I, uh, I love that. Uh, I love those roasts. Uh, you can tell they got great writers. Oh yeah. And, and that's the key. Uh, I think so. Uh, we'd love you. Great roasting Ric Flair is a, that's a hell of an opportunity. And I think people are going to love it. Should be a star-studded affair. You know, Rick's got a Rolodex like nobody else, so uh, he's pretty fired up. We're gonna have uh, we're gonna have a house full of celebrities, and we've already got more than half a dozen writers working on it. So it should be a good time. Tickets or bracelets, rather, for the event, uh, all of the Starcast events, go on sale this Friday at noon. Uh, so as you're listening to this tomorrow at noon, Starcast.com. Yeah. If you can't make plans to join us, we will stream everything on Fight. And, uh, Jim Crockett promotions as a one-off one last time. Check it pretty out. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. I, I got there, uh, you know, when I got to, to Crockett, uh, in the mid eighties, 86, 87, something like that. I don't know what it was. Uh, fans have the better, uh, recall of that than I, but, uh, too many sleeps since I started <laughs> until today. Uh, but man, I, I think that's just going to be, be huge. There's going to be a ton of fans in town. Yep. Uh, so you you got your pool of potential, uh, 
customers, shall we say, yep. fans increases, uh, you've got an attraction that has not been replicated anywhere. The fact that nature is going to get back in the ring and tights and wrestle is something that I would never have predicted you could pull off. So I would congratulate you on that deal. And, uh, and the other good thing about that is that nature is not going to be wrestling acapella. So that others will be in the ring with it to experience this situation. And if you want to see a twinkle in talent's eyes, and I don't even know who's the, I don't know the, the, I can, if I don't know, I can't tell. So I love that <laughs> uh, in, inadvertently. Oh yeah. That's gonna be, uh, I didn't know that. So, uh, I, I just, you'll see guys in the ring on this last presentation for the Nate with twinkles in her eye, cause this is a big deal to them too. Imagine being a, a wrestler and growing up and idolizing flair or just admiring his work over the time. And now you actually get to be in a match with him. And it's his last match. It's a pretty big deal. That's a hell of a big deal. Yeah. Hell of a big deal. So, uh, I, 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 I think you got a hit there and folks, again, you, it, the tickets are, you got, here's the thing I know. I do know this. You have to have a ticket to attend. Yes. And those tickets that you seek become available on this Friday, tomorrow, as you're listening to this on Thursday, but Friday and, uh, good weekend to get your tickets, get all set up. So I I'm, I'm proud of you, man. That's a hell of a hell of an attraction and it should do great. It really should. We're excited, man. Hope that you guys will join us and, uh, we're going to start announcing some more talent. Uh, by the time you listen to this, you probably already know more than I can share now, but it is going to be a star studded affair. Check it out. Starcast.com bracelets go on sale tomorrow at noon. And, uh, let's jump back into judgment day here. The story with flair and Steve Austin is something that was kind of fresh because well, flair is the heel owner and Austin is the rebellious face. So it's sort of what we did before with Vince McMahon, but now it's with Ric Flair. Um, but it does feel like Austin was at his best when he had something to rebel against. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Uh, but I think that we saddled up Nate's a little early. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's followed McMahon's run as the, the heel figure. Yep. And, uh, you know, I said this before, I, and I believe I'm not to kiss Vince's ass. Uh, I've done that plenty in my career, so I'm not doing it today. Uh, but you know, Vince is just a hard act to follow. He was really good in that role. And I said, as I was about to say, he was, uh, the best heel in the attitude era period. And we had great heels, but he was the best. In my opinion, uh, I know he listed more passion and more emotion from the live audience that shared that, that, that bled right over into your television set. This is really good stuff there. So, uh, I think on this particular situation, if I were booking it and I had a chance to, to, to get the eraser out, the most powerful weapon in all the rest, the eraser and, and move this schedule a little bit, I think it would not have been as burden burdensome on Nate. Uh, as I perceive that it was, cause again, you're falling at one act to the other. And so now it's, you know, it's, it's a, to me, it was just a little, little tight fit Did I, I'm not knocking Rick's work at all. What it's not on the same timing wise, he didn't book the timing of it. Right. So, uh, anyway, it, it, it was a, it was, it was a, so we're here. We're, we're talking about new is the heel heel, uh, authority figure and stone cold new. 
No, um, but but it is a new wrinkle of a proven commodity, I guess, is what I was getting at. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, wh- while while the character work of Vince McMahon probably couldn't be paralleled, the in-ring work is now more of a possibility than it was with Steve. And the result is a pretty good rating. The day after Backlash, Raw did a 4.8 there in St. Louis. And the main thing on the show was Big Show turning heel again. Uh, and joining the NWO, he's going to turn on Austin in their tag match against Scott Hall and X-Pac. And they're also hinting at the quote unquote owner of raw turning heel too, because he keeps repeating that he never saw Austin's foot on the rope the previous night at the pay-per-view and undertaker pinned him, but stone cold. And of course the crowd, they didn't buy it. Let's talk about big show. It, it feels a little silly because at this point, I think this is his seventh turn in three years in the company. And of course, as we know, there's many more to come but it's almost become a joke about yeah. how often he turned was WWE aware at the time that, that they were doing it too much or did, was it not even something that they were, they were just booking week to week and, and never really looked back to think about it because I've heard that with the streak. I'm not saying this to be funny, but I think I've heard the story that Michael Hayes said right before WrestleMania 18. Hey, did you know undertakers never lost at WrestleMania? And somebody had to look it up and said, well, that can't be true. No, he's nine and oh. So when he beat flair, okay, now he's 10 and oh, and he started talking about it for the first time. I wonder, did these turns not even resonate with the company? Did they not realize, Hey shit, didn't we just do this? I think it, apparently not. Apparently didn't resonate very much, very soundly. Uh, I don't, I, I, it's a head scratcher. It really is a head scratcher. And what it did was it devalued big show when you got an attraction guy. And again, a key term and our audience should understand my logic and your logic about what an attraction guy is. An attraction wrestler is Andre. It's the McGuire twins. It's uh, it used to be when I was just getting in wrestling in the seventies, the lady wrestlers come in once a year type thing. It's an attraction. They, you're not going to see them next week. Right. And, uh, what we did right off the bat was overexposed big show. So instead of keeping him special and keeping his, uh, uh, persona fresh, we just shoved it right down their throat. And that's a lot to swallow. That's a lot to swallow 400 plus pounds. Uh, and it had to be frustrating for, for a bit for a big show. I can't, I can't see how it couldn't be. Let's talk a little bit about something they did off the air in St. Louis, because this is kind of fun to, to look back and think about. They do an Austin Hogan test market deal, I guess you'd say in St. Louis. Once the show goes off the air, Hogan does a run in to help Austin clean house on big show X-Pac and Scott hall. And then for his trouble, Austin gives Hogan a stunner, which gets almost a mixed response. But when Hogan recovers, they do a stare down, but wind up drinking beer in the ring together to celebrate. And Hogan even leg drops a, a beer can, which is pretty fun, especially for, you know, something to send the crowd home happy with. Yeah. But did you think this was uh, Hey, let's just see how the audience reacts or was it not that serious? And it was just, Hey, let's send them home happy. Well, I think we want to send them home happy no matter what. Uh, however, I think it was smart marketing to do a little test drive and let's feel, let's feel the audience. Let's see how they're going to respond to what we're going to present them. So I think it was very timely and it made sense to do it. You know, it was dark. It was after the show was over. We had, we had a good house there that night, as I recall. Uh, so, uh, I think it was smart marketing because we didn't know, we had no idea how Hogan would be perceived. We didn't want to devalue Hogan. We're just bringing him back to kind of, you know, 
but rehook the uh, jumper cables. Right. But so I, I, I thought it was a smart way of doing some market research. We've actually got a clip of that. Uh, stay true. Stay tuned here and we'll track it. Passion drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. As you can hear, Jim, the crowd is just going absolutely bananas for this beer bash with Hulk Hogan and stone cold. I mean, realistically, did you think there was ever any way we were going to see a feud or a pay-per-view or, or, or something like that with these guys? Because I think when folks think about the success of the company, they certainly think about Hogan being the man of the eighties, Austin being the man of the nineties. And I don't know, perhaps John Cena is the man of the two thousands. But it all, it feels like a dream match of sorts where it should have happened. It just didn't. Yeah, right. I never had great confidence that match would ever happen, but they'd have a long enough program, uh, and storyline to crescendo it and peak it at a pay-per-view. And we were not in that mode at that point in time. You know, you don't, if you're going to rebuild a legend like Hogan, and I use that rebuild just because I don't have a better term in my head. Right. Uh, but. Uh, you know, God dang, man, he's, uh, 
you don't want to relaunch him simply with a plan in mind to beat him. You know, you're going to beat him sooner than later, but everybody loses at some point in time. And it's imperative for the storytelling to have both sides of the issue, a little jeopardy and all these things. Uh, but, uh, I never, Steve never thought, or at least that's my opinion. I might be wrong. Steve did not tell me this, that, uh, he had a lot of chemistry with Hogan in the ring, in the ring chemistry. And the one thing about Austin is that he sensed who he could have the better matches with this. uh, He had a feel for it. And if it was somebody that he didn't think that he could perform up to the standards, he would just, uh, lobby to not participate in that particular storyline. And that's really smart because he didn't want, he, he wanted the fans to get what they expected. And he, and there's some talents that, uh, that we're talking about here that including Hulk, that I don't think Steve felt like he could have, uh, uh, the matches that he wanted to have. And I don't, this is not a knock on Hogan. Well, he's, it's just that styles are different and they just clashed a little bit. So, uh, but I thought there on that thing in St. Louis, it's obvious that the fans realized they were seeing something special. My deal there would have been, I'll put Hogan and Austin together as the tag teams. It'll be easier on Hogan, easier on Steve. Uh, you get to expose uh, the opposition, two more guys on the other side. To me, that would have been, uh, a safe route to, uh, to take, uh, and, uh, but never, I never had any. I, I didn't say, well, I don't, I didn't miss the opportunity to see Hogan and Austin one-on-one, uh, because I didn't think it was possible knowing how both guys felt about, uh, match quality and their limitations through injuries and age at that point in their careers. Speaking of careers, Randy Orton's going to get his kicked off in a big way. April 25th, Peoria, Illinois. He's going to make his WWF television debut and he's going to get a win over hardcore Holly. Did you think Randy was ready for the big time? I mean, we remember you used to call, uh, Rocky Maivia, a blue chipper. It almost felt like it was too much too soon for him. And now here's a very similar situation. And here's a guy who athletically checks all the boxes. It looks like he's got charisma. He's a handsome, good looking dude. He is a, a, a multi-generation wrestler, just like the rock. So the heritage is there, right? but there has to be some concern of now we know it worked out just fine for the rock, but at least at first that, that launch process, you know, it could go one of two ways with some of these generational talents. It, it could be David San Martino. You don't want that. You want it to be more like the rock, but even the rock didn't have a smooth start. Was there a concern like that for Randy at the time? I think we learned from the rocks presentation that not to, not to do, uh, be aware of force feeding. Yeah. Be aware of overexposure. Uh, but I, I, uh, I never had a uh, doubt in my mind that Randy Orton was not going to be a big star. Uh, I, I, I saw him and got to know him a little bit and, and that was challenging because he's, he didn't trust. He came from a wrestling family. And if you come, you're a third generation star in pro wrestling, like Randy is then, you know, one of the things you hear about at the, at the, at the dinner table is like a screwed net payoff or things that would add to your over overall distrust of the office. Yeah. So, uh, but I thought if we didn't overexpose Randy, he was going to be, uh, a uh, big time player. Randy's only 
biggest, or I should say, not only, but it, the biggest challenge he had was just socially, uh, you know, trying to stay sane on the road. He was young and handsome and women were beating his door down and, you know, he knew he was good. He's not a dummy. He knew what he knows. He knows what's good and what isn't. So I, I always had great confidence, Conrad, that, that we were going to have, we had something in him. And to be honest with you, when I, uh, had a meeting with Vince about some new guys I'd signed, he didn't even know, he didn't even know what Randy looked like. Wow. So he would, uh, uh, we were talking about that. And I mentioned that Randy got dishonorably discharged from the Marines and that almost killed the deal. And I said, well, Vince, you know, you said all along and I use your, I use your example, uh, on a lot of the decisions I make that, that everybody can make a mistake. Cause I said, you told me about your mistakes, your, your, uh, you know, the, the uh, military school and all these other things he had to endure to, to straighten up and, and or grow up. So I, uh, I think that, uh, you know, I said, he deserves a second chance. I said, if we, if he's, he's going to be a player, I'm just telling you, it's the same thing. I told him when, uh, I came back from scouting John Cena, you don't have to be a savant or this genius, uh, with visions and all these other grandiose things. Common sense will take you to where you want to go. And the only thing that we had, to, we had to make sure about Randy was, Hey, don't, uh, you can't party. So I told Brett Favre one time in Atlanta, sitting there drinking with Bill Fralick. I said, you know, I said, you can't drink all the crown roll in Atlanta kid. And, uh, he was sure trying <laughs> back before he, before he stopped drinking. So that's the deal with Randy. How much partying can you do? And, uh, you know, we talked to Rick flair earlier and, you know, a lot of guys looked at flair idolized. He was a role model Yeah, and that included the partying. So it's uh it was interesting, but yeah, I, I never had a lack of confidence and I, I don't to this day. It's just been amazing to me that Randy has continued to elevate and refine his game. It's not a matter of elevating to the point where you're going to add more things. Uh, he's going to start doing tope suicidas and every other, <laughs> all that shit, you know, uh, here's the funny thing about a tope suicida. Have you ever seen it beat anybody? Interesting. Interesting. I haven't either. It's a spot, but, but it doesn't mean it's not fun to watch. I'm not saying it's not fun to watch, but I don't need to see three or four of them tonight. Yeah. I'm not arguing that. I, uh, I do want to talk about Jericho defeating triple H in the main event. Thanks to the undertaker, which means now Y2J is going to get a title shot versus Hogan. The trouble is SmackDown. On April 25th, the show with heavy competition does a 3.4 rating, which is a tie for the all time record, non holiday low for the show. And it's not headed in the right direction. The previous record was 4.12 and it was set two weeks earlier. So it looks like SmackDown is on a downward trend. Do you think that is more a statement about SmackDown's presentation, SmackDown's uh, creative, or perhaps is it just a sign that the whole brand extension isn't working? Well, I don't want to indict the whole brand extension because I've, you know, my opinion on it. Uh, I liked it. If it's, if it stayed separate, that stayed, uh, exclusive, but when you're hip hopping back and forth and who's on this show and who's mad at who, and what, what happened last time and all those things, uh, it, 
it makes it hard to follow. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it was a brand extension. I just think it, we didn't have over talent on that show that were involved in compelling storylines. Simply, we didn't, we were not providing the television viewer and the wrestling fan at that particular time on SmackDown, what they wanted to see. The observer would say that, uh, Lita was injured filming the show, dark angel. She apparently herniated a disc along with three cracks in her C six and C seven vertebrae. Uh, so now she's in a hospital in St. Louis before raw because she's just in so much pain. She's going to see Dr. Youngblood the next day who immediately recommends surgery, which was scheduled uh, just a handful of days later. Yeah. And she'll be out six to nine months. Um, Allegedly, the injuries occurred during practice for her fight sequence, uh, the weekend before filming. And while filming the show itself, it was noticeable. She was in pain because her posture was hunched over. She's wincing and frowning. This is less than ideal. I mean, you love for your, your folks to have outside opportunities. Uh, that's good for everybody, but man, when somebody gets hurt and now you've got to reshuffle the deck, uh, this is a major blow, especially when you're a big time talent like Lita. Yeah, tell me about the chef reshuffling the deck. God almighty. Uh, it's like dominoes falling. You can't tip over one domino and it be in silence. But it's, if, it, if it's near where it can touch another domino, you got more noise. You got more things falling. Yeah. They have to be addressed. You got to cut it off somewhere. How do we get out of this deal? Uh, but it was a shame, you know, her. And that was the whole deal, the, the expo additional exposure. Uh, you know, you, you hope that somebody gets an additional exposure on a, on a different television set. And, uh, it will, it will be good for everybody, but boy, this is just a disaster. Absolute disaster uh, to lose her for what it was six, to nine months. Was, and she was just kind of getting there. Yeah. No, I, I, I've always been a big fan of elitist. And I think she's, uh, at times might even be considered, even though she's in the hall of fame, sometimes I don't think that during her run, she was totally appreciated. Totally agree. And, yeah. And kind of overlooked a little bit. So, but it was a heartbreaking thing to have to, you know, to hear, get that news. Well, you had, to get the old, you had to get the old eraser out, Conrad, get back to work. Lots more of those eraser moments coming because Kane's going to be out three to four months after surgery on April 16th. This one's with Dr. James Andrews, who I guess you guys are keeping pretty, pretty busy here. He suffered yep. a bicep tear while training uh, two days prior on April 14th. And just the litany of injuries the company's going through around this time. I mean, it's hard for, I mean, this is the same core group you've had running hard since 97. I guess eventually these injuries have to catch up with you, but from a personnel standpoint and from a, a creative standpoint, it's not as if, as you compared them with dominoes earlier, you just pull one out and just plug another in. That doesn't work no. that way. No. When one guy moves out of this program, well, it affects everything else. And it just feels like the injury bug has definitely bit the company here. Yeah. And it's not like football or something where you just, your, your left tackle gets hurt. So you're replacing with another left tackle, right? This you're talking about personalities, show business and presentation and all those things. So, uh, and, and Glenn was another one. He was an iron man, you know, uh, uh, still the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. I think he's running for reelection. Uh, I've never hired a guy that was more honorable, honest, 
and had as much integrity as Glenn Jacobs. He was top of the list. He, he was, he, you always knew he was going to be on time. You always knew he was going to give a great effort. Uh, he didn't get boo-boo face when he had to do a job. Uh, just ideal, uh, teammate. I loved him in the locker room. Uh, and that story of me and him goes back a long way as far as, uh, you know, where we met, and what I saw in him and all those things. How do you miss on a guy that's six foot eight that played college basketball and football? Right. He's an athlete. Right. So, uh, I, uh, that, that hurt us because guys like him have an impact on not only in the ring and their matches, Conrad, but on, uh, the locker room itself. He was a confidant to a lot of guys. He helped a lot of young talents. So it, that, that was another blow. No doubt about that. We were, our luck at this point was not real good. So there's negotiations going on regarding a contract buyout for Goldberg and, uh, Meltzer would say he doesn't know how serious they are and that they've taken place on and off for the past year. But ultimately the company never came through with enough money to get bill to commit. The last time they were at any kind of semi-serious level before was, which was early in the year, Hogan was trying to broker a deal, which would have had him come in with Goldberg as opposed to Hall and Nash. Do you remember these conversations with Goldberg in this era? What was that like trying to get him to come over? Well, he has the same age that I have. We both have the same age now, Barry Bloom. Uh, so I, Barry didn't disclose delicate information to me, uh, but I was negotiating with him. Right. And, uh, it comes down to this Connie. We didn't, the money wasn't there that they felt compelled to request. It was a lot of money and, and the guy didn't have a track record in WWE. Uh, he didn't hadn't, you know, I, I, I mean, I've known Bill Goldberg for since he was a high school defensive tackle at Tulsa Edison high school. That's where I met him. I challenge anybody else to wrestle. Let's go back that far. The talent sign. Uh, but he was a, he was a beast then he's a beast now. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think, you know, he was just the money. I wish I could give you a better, more exotic or more, more sexy story. My boy. However, the, I have to tell you the facts as best. I recall the only thing that kept us from getting this deal done was the money. Larry Zabisco filed three separate lawsuits on April 19th, all about the money. He did it in federal court in Atlanta against Vince McMahon, WWFE, and Chris Irvine, AKA Chris Jericho for his usage of the term living legend and describing Jericho God. Whistler trademarked the name for use in wrestling and his lawyers several weeks back sent a cease and desist letter to the company. After the letter, they continued to use the phrase on TV. Titan had no comment on the suit. It's funny because Titan sports originally trademarked living legend in the eighties for Bruno San Martino. And when Bruno quit the promotion, Linda actually told him he could no longer use the nickname. You can imagine his response and he continued to use it. He guessed correctly because it would have done Titan no good PR to try and sue San Martino over doing autograph shows and grand openings using that billing. But here in 20 or 2002, that didn't probably help Larry Zabisco worth a darn either. Did it? No, Larry, Larry, Larry went immediately to the short, short, short list of, uh, potential hires, which is unfortunate. You know, I think 
be honest with you, you know, Larry is a very talented guy and uh, smart, good talker, as we all know. He probably had one more, uh, a few more at bats left. But he, he I, how, what do you do? Yeah. You can't hire a guy that's got three lawsuits against, you know, can't do it. Right. So, uh, and it was frivolous. It meant nothing. So what do you think Larry was looking for? Conrad, a payday. Yeah. He wanted a little cash payout. So that, that didn't happen. Unfortunately, we got some bad news here. Jim Luthes is going to pass away on April 28th, 19 days after undergoing open heart surgery in Orlando, four days after his 86th birthday. Um, unfortunately he's no longer with us and it's pretty amazing that so many wrestling fans, myself included, never really got to see a ton of his stuff, Right. but Luthez was wrestling royalty. Was he not? Oh God. Yes, absolutely. I, uh, we, we, uh, pretty much, I guess that pretty much, I think we pretty well, pretty well ignored his death. So he should, he's a guy that should have had the, in memory of the beginning of the show. And he should have had a, a video in there. There's plenty of footage that you could, you could, uh, obtain. Uh, but he was one of my heroes. You know, he was one of my, uh, I, I had a lot of long, nice educational informative talks with Lou. And I, I would say that, you know, we became friends whether through we through something like the cauliflower alley club, uh, which is coming up soon or, uh, uh, the, the hall of fame in, in uh, Iowa, uh, Waterloo, he just was, a he loved to give back to the business, still love the business. And for us to do that, there were several of us. I, I, I don't remember everybody, but I know Jerry Briscoe and I were almost, uh, shocked that we didn't say shit about it. I thought it was very disrespectful and, and, uh, it's, it, it was a situation that could have been so easily, uh, remedied, you know, not even a graphic. So I thought that was, uh, a cool. And I, and I know that, uh, over the years, so many of these fucking wrestling, uh, guys, promoters feel obligated. So somewhere along the way, I am assuming that Lou didn't do some sort of business for, uh, uh, vet senior that was required or was expected. Here's, was... here's what Meltzer had to say. I just wanted to sort of fill the gaps of what you're saying here. One day after his death, the only national promotion left in the United States and a display lacking class to a degree that even carnies of the past likely wouldn't have lowered themselves to failed to acknowledge the death of someone who many would argue is the greatest star in the history of the industry. Even sadder was the embarrassment when Steve Austin delivered a Thez press in his tag match and Jim Ross, who routinely calls the move paused for a second. The pause showed he didn't know what to do and knew he was in a no win situation. Obviously the subject had been brought up in production and the company decision had been made. The decision that was made spoke more volumes about the company than anything in a long time. Granted, Thez had never had nice things to say about today's WWF wrestling other than praising its production and raving about Kurt Angle. There had been legal problems in the past between the two when Thez unknowingly booked the Samoans for an overseas tour only to find out they were still under WWF contract. But he had appeared once and was put over at the Meadowlands in the mid-80s at a WWF old-timers battle royal 
and made appearances at a major show in Houston and at the Bad Blood pay-per-view in St. Louis in 1997. Maybe it was symbolic that even in death, the promoter makes the final decision and all wrestlers, no matter how important they once were, are nothing more than replaceable parts on an assembly line to be forgotten the day after they draw their last house. The Luthez Press, Ross said, moving quickly away from the subject. Man, this is a tough, the way it's written is tough, but I feel bad for you. Is, is Dave on the money here? You, you, you knew that you probably should acknowledge it, but you were told not to. Yeah. Yeah. We were going to not, we we're going to ignore lose, lose passing, but I, I didn't think it, if you, if you do your old proverbial deep dive, uh, it went as deep as that, that, you know, it's a hold and, uh, it, people are not as hell bent on hearing those holes names as they are today because there's so much diversion and, and there's the Japanese influence certainly the uh, Hispanic influence and uh, all these other things and, and wrestling fans believe that all that is crucial to the storytelling that, you know, the name of every hold. And I'm wondering if our mainstream audience even gives a shit what the name is, how did it work? How did it affect the match? You know, what damage did it do? Blah, blah, blah. So, uh, but I, it, to me that just it came out automatic. I didn't know. I think Steve did the thing to tribute to Lou. And all I was doing was my job following what I saw. And, uh, but I didn't get any trouble for it. I mean, I mean, my God, you could, you could like you said, I, I, I found myself in a jackpot. I was down the rabbit hole. So I, I said it and moved on. What was your relationship like with Lou? Oh God, it's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Lou. Lou had a real strong relationship with Leroy McGurk, my first boss, he and Bill Watts, uh, he had, we shared mutual admiration society for Danny Hodge. Funny story. Lou told me one time I said, uh, we're talking about shooters and he was known as a shooter big time. And his, uh, he would use that, uh, double wrist lock as his kill, as his kill weapon. So if a, if a, if a frisky little, uh, uh, contender in a territory somewhere in, you know, Decatur, Illinois, or someplace, I don't know why I picked that town, but nonetheless, wherever, uh, got frisky, Lou went to the double wrist lock. So you either straighten up or I'll break your arm. So that's how it was. And, uh, but I asked him one time, about these, all these different shooters and Bunch, I had a bunch of questions. You know, Dick Hutton was the NWA champion, former amateur Oklahoma State, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of these guys burn. I wonder how you know all all the legend all the legends true. Uh, and finally, he he named all these guys, and uh, the ones you would think. And then he said, and then I said, but what you didn't mention Hodge? So, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's a different deal. <laughs> There's only one Hodge. Everybody knows it. Everybody understands it. You just don't screw with him. He can beat anybody at any time that he chooses. And I said, does that include you lose? Oh yeah, absolutely. He's, he's extraordinary. So think little stories like that just gave me a, a more of a appreciation for the, for the, for the product. Uh, but you know, I got a lot of good advice from Lou and you know, he'd, he'd point out things on the talent. This guy's got some good balance or this guy's got, 
he's got a potential to be really good. So I, I had a great relationship with Lou. I enjoyed hanging around him and he listened to the stories. If you're a good listener, it was, it was a wrestling heaven. That's like Starcast. It's going to be wrestling heaven and you're you come on in doors open. So I love, I loved when Luke came around and like I said, he was a champion and the dominant figure in the entire business, uh, for many, many years. And he just uh, had a great rapport with Leroy. Of course, Leroy never saw Lou. I don't know. Leroy, Leroy probably saw Lou. No, I know he did. Leroy saw Lou wrestle because we many know Leroy, uh, became blinded in early fifties, 51 or two. And, uh, but Lou had a long run before that. As you go back to the thirties, here's a guy that's on top with a bunch of fickle wrestling promoters in these little uh, territories. Yep. Uh, just, you know, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. You look at the lay of the land today and it ain't going to happen because I think sometimes we believe that change is better for change sake. And it's never better. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about, um, this raw situation we've got in Buffalo. It's April 29th. We got 8,500 fans here and it's going to draw the show's lowest rating since the end of football season. It gets a 4.38, but the really worst news is that the Hogan undertaker angle, which does a little overrun, meaning the show doesn't end when it's supposed to, it goes just a couple minutes longer. It does a 4.10, which makes it the lowest, perhaps the lowest, uh, main event overrun dating back four years. So once again, it's Flair and Austin carrying the ratings and it's no longer a theory, but a fact, this is directly from Dave Meltzer that Hogan is done as a ratings draw. And this might be proof of what, what we talked about at the top of the show. Nostalgia works, but only for a little while. Yeah. Short term. It's a short term fix, uh, without, without a doubt. I mean, it's just, to me, it's been proven over and over and over again, uh, I don't know if I agree with the fact that Meltzer saying that Hogan is not a ratings draw. You put him in a personal issue. Yes. And you, you get him immersed in that, like in the old school. Uh, you know, he'll come in by hook or crook, you know, buddies him up, beats him up, gives Hogan a reason to fire up. Uh, then, you know, you got a, you got a shot at something. But uh, it's, it's got to be a very well strategically crafted storyline. And, uh, once you put him back in that light, you mentioned earlier about him being back in the yellow and red to me, that was a no brainer. Yeah. That's what fans want. They expected to see. Yes. That'd be like Austin coming out of WrestleMania with a full head of hair. No, I don't see that. No, <laughs> it is interesting though, to look back of all the possible opponents for Hogan to really start this, this comeback tour, if you will, they land on undertaker. Is that the right one? Do you think? Well, I don't know. It's got a lot of box office appeal. There's no doubt about that. And undertaker is of course a proven commodity, but I don't know if that was the right way to go or not. And I don't have a better suggestion off the top of my head, as I said here, uh, to give you, but you needed, yeah, it had to be somebody with some, uh, with box some, office appeal. Oh yeah. My yeah. gosh. And I mean, Taker had that. So he here's the thing does. I'll say Conrad, it was worth a try. On paper, it was worth a try. Do you remember, uh, undertaker having hurt feelings with Hogan? It's th that's been written about a lot over the years that 
When Undertaker was really first getting going, as a reminder, he debuts Survivor Series 1990. So fast forward one year later, Survivor Series 91, the Undertaker beat Hulk Hogan for the title on pay-per-view. Like in that era, only one guy had done that. And that was the ultimate warrior. So now for the undertaker to do it, it's a big dog on deal. And of course, I think everybody knows the story. Hogan claimed that undertaker dropped him on his head and hurt him and he had to go to the hospital. And if you watch the footage back, that just wasn't true. Undertaker did not drop him on his head. Now that's not to say that Mr. Belaya didn't experience some discomfort and maybe the jolt or I don't know what happens in a wrestling ring. I don't pretend to, but I do know that it wasn't negligence on the undertaker's part. Oh yeah. And, and, and I feel like there may have been an undercurrent of some hurt feelings or man, this guy's trying to take my, my big moment away. I had my mom and dad here and now there's this black cloud. And then of course, Hogan leaves, does his thing. And in the meantime, undertaker goes from essentially new guy to godfather of the locker room. And, And so now that Hogan comes back, it does make me wonder, do you think the undertaker had any sort of concern or hesitation or pause about working with Hogan. I don't really think so because he understood, uh, Hogan's limitations. Every wrestler, no matter how young or how old has limitations, no one is the perfect guy. Uh, and so I think that, you know, Taker has such a great talent evaluator. He knew what he could get out of Hogan and, and, and vice versa. So, uh, no, I don't think so whatsoever. And I know that even though Mark has always been known as a, one of the toughest guys in the history of the business, at least in my eyes, because I know how often he worked through injury and it was astonishing and, uh, working through pain, managing pain. It was just it was tough. So not, but Taker would not have a, a bone in his body where he was going to do anything to kind of inadvertently drop somebody on their head. It's not going to happen. That's not him. And I bet my, I bet my every black hat I own that that's a fact. So, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, I just don't, I can't believe that. And that's, it's almost incredulous to talk about it. Smackdown from Pittsburgh on, uh, April or I'm sorry, May 2nd has 10,000 in attendance and Hogan and Jericho are in the main event in a no DQ match. But Meltzer says the result is one of the scariest things in the last five years for the company. Uh, the show does a 2.9 rating. The audience is 4.48 million viewers, but that's the third lowest for any raw or SmackDown dating back to 1998. Um, Meltzer would say the realistic rating dropped 18% from last week, which was its lowest realistic rating of the year and second lowest in the history of the show on a non-holiday night. Uh, SmackDown had never before drawn a 3.2 rating, a number it had done three times in its history on Thanksgiving night in 2000 and 2001, which is one of the lowest rated nights of TV all year. And then on June 14th, 2001, they were in the period where Austin had turned heel and they were tuning out in droves where he was defending the title against Spike Dudley in the main event. So a 2.9 now. This has to set off some alarm bells. This is not trending in the right direction. And and I'm curious, what do you think Vince attributed it to? Is it simply we saddled the wrong horse with Hogan? I think he wanted to see, make sure that, uh, the horse that they'd saddled was still able to move around and run and, and, uh, be a horse. Right. Uh, 
and I think he wanted to make sure we gave that every opportunity that we had. Let's don't cut it short. You know, it's, it's not where we want it to be, but let's continue to travel this road and maybe it'll be, maybe it'll, it'll start catching on again. And the Hulkamania, the displaced Hulkamania fans will, will uh, resume watching. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'll pull this out of the, the Cowboys, uh, Bill Watts's hat. We didn't have what they wanted to see. I mean, it's really simple. Yeah. If we had what they wanted to see, these ratings would be higher. Uh, but they weren't. So it tells me that we did, we were not providing the content, the product that the fans in mass wanted to embrace. One of the next thing you guys do is go overseas. Uh, you're going to start in Germany. You're going to hit Glasgow, Scotland, Birmingham. Uh, it's the only UK pay-per-view or UK only pay-per-view insurrection in London on, uh, May the 4th. You got great crowds every night. This is the first overseas tour, uh, to the last multiple dates in over three years. So it feels as if, Hey man, if North American business might be trending down, we know we're hot over there. And this was quite the run. You even wind up doing a bunch of media with Terry Runnels for a few days, all over UK TV and radio. Did you enjoy those trips? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the nice things about going traveling anywhere, uh, and I know that my English and my addiction, sometimes, sometimes this can be a conundrum for some, uh, you go to England or the UK and you all speak pretty much the same language. Uh, some of the accents are very thick, especially in Scotland, but I always had a great time there. You know, Kenny McIntosh has had me over there a few times. And Chris Jericho is going to go back to do some shows. Kurt Angle was just recently there. Uh, it's just a phenomenal fan base and that the promotion that we did uh, a couple of three weeks ago in Liverpool was a, was a testament to that. I mean, my God, it was packed. And, uh, so I love going to the UK. The other thing about it too, I was living in Connecticut, Conrad. Uh, it's one flight. It's one flight. I like that. And they spoke our language or basically we spoke the same language. Uh, so I always enjoyed it. I enjoyed all those trips and, uh, hope to go back uh, to do something sooner than later. You know, it's inevitable that at some point in time, AEW will be in the UK a hundred percent and they'll crush. I mean, yep. that is a, a wrestling crazed, I mean, continent it's unbelievable. Uh, it, it's no wonder that the guys had a good time and apparently too much of a good time because on the way back from that pay-per-view was the now infamous plane ride from hell. Oh, for God's uh, sake. We did a whole episode on it in the past over at adfreeshows.com. Everybody's heard enough about it. You know what happened? Yes. Uh, uh, let's get to raw on, on the sixth though, in Hartford, it's a sellout 9,000 fans, but boy, we've got a major change. The world wrestling federation is now officially named world wrestling entertainment. And unfortunately, a few guys, once that plane landed, they had to get the F out too. Uh, the company had been preparing for this for a little while now. So they push out this slogan, get the F out plastered all over TV. And the only person who didn't get the F out Jr. was you. Yeah. Uh, you told us a couple of weeks back about wearing a sweater on the air here, still with the WWF logo. Um, this is going to be a process though, to get all the logo. This is not just a, okay. We took it off of the show open. It's on the turnbuckles. It's on the belts. I mean, it's everywhere, right? It's a process. Oh, yeah. It's a big process an expensive process to say the least. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I went out there, you know, business as usual, try to keep things as normal as possible during these changes. So I, I have a, you know, had a little case there to store stuff in, and I just picked out one of my shirts out of the, out of the case without looking because it was just automatic. You just put a shirt, you take a shirt out of your closet, you put it on, you wear it, you go to work. And that's, uh, it didn't work out real well for Jennifer. Good, uh, great producer, lover to death. Uh, one of the best people I ever worked with. So smart. She, uh, got her ass chewed on that as did I, because I had, didn't pay attention. God damn it. A pal. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, it was a lot of change and, and, and with change comes issues sometimes. And we had some issues there, but here's the thing. So we have this little problem. JR wears the wrong shirt. And so how do you solve that? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> Get rid of all the WWF shirts. Just don't have any more. Yeah. I, I gave away tons of WWF stuff that I wore on the air. And now today I'd probably store it and sell it or something. Well, that stuff becomes a, a life of its own, which I'm not real big on adding new life to some of these things, but nonetheless, it was just a human error, but it was a never, it seemed like to me, it was a never ending process. Something, something would always pop up. Like you said, turnbuckles, yes. ring skirts, this, that, and the other, uh, you know, so it was, a. Uh, it was challenging to be obviously it sounds like so it'd be so simple and, and what's the big deal. I don't know, but it was a bigger deal than we anticipated. It was a bigger deal. I mean, this is going to, uh, be a whole process and I'm sure it's the last thing you want to be dealing with after that nightmare trip to Europe that started fun and turned out not so fun. Uh, but the show actually does. Okay. It does a 4.56. The rating is up from the week before, but man, there's another situation. Hogan's going to steal undertaker's bike. Hogan comes out with the bike and he doesn't get a big pop at first, but he works the crowd tremendously. He calls out the undertaker undertaker comes out. Hogan challenges him to fight and he backs down. And then the segment falls apart because Hogan's supposed to ride takers bike up the ramp and chase him away, but he couldn't get the bike to move. And it's one of those moments like the shock master falling through the curtain fans were booing. And then Hogan was riding the bike through the backstage area. He wouldn't come out. Uh, Hogan threatened to run over his bike. If he didn't come out first, Lucy, the dog, and now the bike gets run over. It's uh, well, less than ideal. Let's take a listen. One opportunity to get your ass off my motorcycle. And if you don't, I will walk down that ramp and kick your teeth. Blah, 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 You know something, Taker? Are you actually going to do something? Or are you just going to stand up there like the bitch that you are? Taker, you don't want none down here. So how about I bring the bike up there to you, brother? Hold it, wait. What's he talking yeah. about? What does this mean? Bring the bike. 
I can't believe that the Undertaker's gonna walk down here. Oops. <laughs> Hogan. That's, that's bike, so Hogan is certainly not accustomed to running that motorcycle. Okay, pop a wheelie here. Turn right. Hogan on a set of strand that bicycle. The Undertaker still with an incredulous look on his face. Oh, that's killing me. Oh, no. Oh, wait a minute. Hogan, is, Hogan is almost taunting. I'm not so sure that Hogan is not playing with the Undertaker's mind right now. I made that and up. Hogan now is off that motorcycle. There's, I don't know what the hell Hogan and Hogan and the Undertaker. Oh, Hogan is coming back. The Undertaker has left. Hogan is still Listen, you guys tried. I mean, oh, we was, did. And Lord, we you did. were out there trying to make chicken salad so hard. We worked at it, Connie. You know, just <laughs> to tell a story, making shit up as you go. Yeah. Because I didn't know, you know, that somebody didn't tamper with the bike or right. just trying to lay out these various scenarios that could be. And give some people something to think about while we were in this delay, uh, which was very embarrassing. Live TV, baby. You did a fantastic job there. Uh, in the main event, it's Austin Flair and Bradshaw versus the NWO. This is going to be Scott Hall in his final WWE match. Uh, Flair's going to turn on Austin and beat him down with a chair. Uh, when are you told to let Scott Hall go? Do you remember that conversation? Uh, yeah, right after. Uh, right after all the. Plane ride from hell. Yeah. I think I, I think I got rid of, I think, I think we got rid of Scott or I gave him his notice. Uh, once, once we got back. Yeah. Cause I don't remember him being at that first TV after we get back from the UK. He, he's just on this one and that's it. Yeah. So, uh, but it was unfortunate. I, I, I said this to Scott when I, we terminated our agreement, you know, I think that we might've brought him back on the road when he was not really ready to be back on the road because with all the, the demons that were kind of eavesdropping and looking over the shoulder and all these things, uh, he, he just wasn't quite ready for that yet. He had all these demons were too tempting. And, uh, I, that's and I cause I love, I love working with Scott. He's so smart, man. He was so smart. He's been a great booker. Uh, I think or a great, uh, maybe not the head booker. I don't know, but idea guy. Nobody better than Scott Hall. So, but it was, it was, the conversation went well. He, he agreed with me that he didn't need to be on the road. Right. So I was just being honest with him. And I found out over the years, even though sometimes it's not what the talent want to hear, as long as you give them the truth in a, in a professional presentation, most of them, uh, understand and they get over it and they move on. Around this same time, TNA is announced as being formed. Uh, when does that come on your radar? Do you remember getting a heads up beforehand or does it just happen? Just like we'd imagine here. You read it like everybody else did. I think, uh, with all those on my plate, plane rides from hell and Kane's hurt and Lita's hurt. A lot of these, a lot of things are happening. I didn't really have time to, uh, you know. To, to pay much attention to it, to be honest with you. So I'm sure what I saw was through the, was online or something. Uh, and, and, but it didn't, it didn't move my needle. Shall we say, speaking of Bluetooth, uh, it didn't move my needle. Connie, get that. 
See what I did there? I did see what you did there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, but to me, I didn't care one way or the other. If it gives more wrestlers and people in the business a jobs, then that's not a bad thing. And if it's going to make us do a better job, uh, in a quote unquote competitive environment, then that's not a bad thing. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was, uh, it was a situation where, uh, you know, you wish them the best of luck and, but then you move on. I didn't have time to follow TNA. Right. I, I you know, I, I, they had a lot of guys that were there. I watched their show from time to time without question. However, uh, it wasn't something that I went out of my way to, to deal with. I just had too much going on to worry about TNA. Let's talk about, uh, the next show in Bridgeport. You got 8,500 fans here. That's not really the story. The story is now remember guys, April 25th, we had the debut of Randy Orton a couple of weeks later here on May 9th, we've got the debut of Deacon Batista. Let's take a listen. But long and behold, brothers and sisters, there has been another follower. That's right. This follower will be here to protect the Devon Building Fund. That's right. I want everybody to get up out of your seats. Put your hands together for Deacon Batista. Look at the sun. You must have some good gyms in church, huh? <laughs> now, Deacon, keep one eye on the box as well as the other eye on the ring because Brother Devon is about to beat the sin out of Triple H. Showing that vicious streak that could put him to the next level. And look at the Deacon, the Deacon Batista slamming Triple H off the steel steps. And the Deacon, who's supposed to be protecting the building fund, the, the, the Deacon just taking the game's head off. What he a just shot. floored Triple H with a massive clothesline. Good hand for the game. And look at the Deacon Batista, vicious right hands. This guy's a monster. An animal. Oh! The whole ring move moves out of the way as Batista hits that steel post. Cerebral assassin. The game's always on his game. And now Devon misses with the right hand. Triple H setting Devon up. Pedigree. Here it comes. Cole's going to be the end. So there you go. Lots to unpack here. As I like to say, but how you cool do like is to, it? You do like to say that as a fun little footnote, Batista ended his career with triple H and he had his first physicality on WWE TV against triple H. Thankfully, this whole Deacon gimmick was dropped. Thank God. And, and no and pun intended for some reason we couldn't have Taz, the ECW world champion, uh, get a win on SmackDown over Hunter, but Deacon or I'm sorry, Reverend Devon, just fine. Uh, with a little help from Deacon Batista, but thankfully, uh, we came up with a better idea for Mr. Batista and he did all right. Yeah. He's done great. And, uh, (laughs) I, I, uh, I had, I I did a podcast with Dave before you and I uh, collaborated 
Oh, he's a great guest. He's so smart uh, and aware. He's just, he's not a muscle head. Uh, and, and what a sweetheart of a guy. I remember he started talking about Jan. I started talking about Jan and he followed up and he started crying. That's on one of our, uh, podcasts that they can probably hear on ad free network someplace. I'm assuming. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it's a, it's a very compelling. Listen, so you hear a sensitive side, uh, uh, a human side of Dave Batista that heretofore, I don't think a lot of fans had ever experienced. So, uh, but I, the Deacon thing I hated, it's just, you know, and you know, the, the thing about it, Devon is a great talker, but the star of the Dudleys was Bubba. Maybe it would have worked better if Bubba was involved in the presentation of Deacon Batista. I don't know. I don't, I just don't think he could salvage it. I just, the Deacon thing's got to go and thank God it didn't last forever. The, uh, the show does rebound in the ratings. It gets a 3.6 and a six share. Uh, the main event had Hogan and edge go to a no contest with angle and Jericho when a pissed off triple H beat up everybody with a sledgehammer. And Meltzer would say this, it's not exactly a unique idea to me, but Vince needs to talk with Lawler about his experience, keeping Jackie Fargo as a strong draw for 10 years after his heyday should have been over in Memphis and use that for Hogan. I'm sure that every time Fargo came back, he probably always got as big or a bigger pop than anyone else in the territory, including Lawler, who was always the big draw, but they'd only bring him back one or two shows every six months to a year. So he never came off as an old man, but simply as a legend returning as much as Hogan and flair came back, everyone had the pad answers, including Vince himself on how to use them, not overexpose them and only have them wrestle two to three times on pay-per-view and never on TV, etc. But boy, they've done the exact opposite using yeah. them as regular TV main eventers on just about every pay-per-view show and in the ring, they've become two of the five most pushed acts on TV. And when Vince himself is another, along with the undertaker, you're really talking about the same problems WCW faced at the end, just like in WCW, they got more of a crowd pop than the younger guys. But what did that accomplish? Do you remember being hesitant because the company is certainly going through a paradigm shift. We're going for youth. We're going for youth. And we told Flair that, or Vince told Flair that in January 93, here we are 19 years later, we're still after it. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, old, old, uh, procedures are hard to change and hard to, hard to adapt. Sure. Uh, you know, but I, I, it's it, overall, you gotta get you, you gotta get younger. You gotta create new stars that create another, an interest that heretofore had not been experienced by your, your consumers. And that's just like, it's no different than any other store, Connie, in my opinion, selling a product, uh, you know, you, you have certain things in your store that's going to sell regularly and it's good, but you also know that you got to continue to add to your inventory, uh, to have long-term success. And I think that's kind of where we were. We were in that, that no man's land where if you look at the total age of all those guys we're talking about here now, uh, we got old again, we got old again, right. And everything got in a rush rush zone because of panic, because of the television ratings, sometimes the ratings can be a blessing and a curse. It's obvious. We know that, but boy, sometimes we, we overreact to when they're not great. So the go home raw for judgment day is in Toronto. 
and it's 15,500 fans and Meltzer would call it a nitro appreciation show because it's uh, flair and Hogan as the focal points and surprises that don't deliver. Uh, Meltzer would say it had a cornball angle with the wrong kind of heat. Um, they introduce dreamer as Mick Foley from high school. He brushes his teeth with the same toothbrush. He was brushing his dog's teeth with, he shaved his tongue with a razor and then he drank water out of a urinal. Jim, what in the world is this? I have no idea. I, 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 I just tried to visualize it again. Unfortunately, you create another, <laughs> you know, I'd rather go get a colonoscopy to see that creative again. I don't know why we, I don't know why anybody would think that that was good television. And Tommy dreamer has always been a great team player. And you know, he, he works, uh, does a good job there on busted open radio and Sirius XM channel one fifty six. got great stories, so forth and so on, but I don't need to see him shaving his tongue. I don't even need to see his tongue. There's too much tongue in wrestling. And, but Tommy was willing to do anything for the cause, but boy, it was, that was a stretching it. I, I, I just, I'm trying to say, well, JR, you're older. Uh, you got to get younger, feel younger, perceive things a little bit more fresh. Agreed. Agreed. You're right. But God damn, what, what, what purpose did this serve? I never got that, Connie. I don't know why we did it. It was a, a sensationalistic stunt. It's simple as that. Mick Foley's high school. God, stop. It's just, it makes you tune out. It's a tune out thing. It's a, it, even if you don't actually physically turn the channel or click to another channel, whatever case may be, uh, you, you, you got to figure out, well, wait a minute. What did that just do? What did we just try to solve, do here? what we were trying to achieve. And it was a, it was poor, really poor. And that's why I say that for crisis time to be like crisis times were at that point in time, uh, we, we, we went about it in a hell of, hell of a unique way, Conrad, to, uh, solve some of our ills by having, you know, Tommy dreamer do something at the year or whatever, but, but I'll, I'll get, the only thing I can say is I'll get Tommy credit for doing it because that's, he was asked to do it. That was a play they called. That's what they wanted to do. And he ran the play as simple as that. It was just distasteful and meaningless. Hogan and flair are going to be, uh, working for the title. Uh, Hogan gets the win in eight minutes and 46 seconds. I want to remind everybody, this isn't 1992. This is 2002 and Meltzer would say these guys are still the very best at getting every little trick of getting heat and confusing so many people that heat equals money from a technical standpoint. This was Hogan's best match since being back as flair is still the best in the world at carrying a total zero to a decent match. It was sad when couldn't flair couldn't flip all the way over doing his Ray Stevens bump into the corner. But aside from that, it was exactly what you'd expect in every spot. X-Pac interfered after a first leg drop, but Hogan got rid of him. Show and Bradshaw got involved and flair had the match one. And then Austin ran in, gave flair a stunner. And that led to the leg drop. But this is uh pretty remarkable when you think about it, that our go home for the pay-per-view where Hogan's getting a title shot. Once again, is Hogan and flair. Um, the result though, is we need a little bit of a payback for what happened with the motorcycle the week before. 
So Hogan does an interview. Undertaker hits him a few times with a tire iron and then decides I'm going to tie him up behind my own motorcycle. An undertaker drives all over backstage with Hogan dragging around behind him. And apparently in the building, people were laughing at this, which is not the kind of emotion you're looking for to build pay-per-views, but it ends with Hogan wearing his crash helmet, crashing into a set of empty cardboard boxes. Hogan suffered a neck injury a few days before the title match, which those who remember San Martino and Backlund's title losses will remember as the old gimmick. But I got to tell you, Jim, as a fan, (laughs) this was, uh, hilarious and, Maybe it didn't come off as intended, and it became a, a piece of botchamania history. Uh, let's move on. So Austin's main event is a lumberjack with all the heel lumberjacks against a mystery partner, a new member of the NWO, which turns out to be Booker. And boy, was the crowd deflated for that. Uh, ultimately, Austin gives Regal a stunner and pins Booker after a schoolboy in five and a half minutes. And after Austin's laid out virtually every heel in the company, He walks off, but he's jumped by, you guessed it, a retired road agent, Arn Anderson, who beat him up. Show then chokeslammed him twice and elbow dropped him while Flair continued to beat on him and Austin was bleeding from the mouth. I could see how if I were Steve Austin and once upon a time considered the biggest draw in the history of the wrestling business, and I still think I am that in my own mind, in reality he is. I mean, we've seen that the ratings where Hogan's on top, maybe aren't doing the best, but Austin and flair ratings are still strong, but this is the creative. I could see how he would be a little frustrated. Yeah. Who wouldn't be? It wasn't good. It was desperation booking. Can we just try to capture lightning in a bottle? We need a break here. Need something to break through something to regenerate the interest of our, our mass masses of fans which says some reason was starting to dwindle. I hate when a guy does that. Yeah. Don't ever show. I don't know. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was desperation booking Conrad. You got the goose that laid the golden eggs. He still got some eggs left, but you got to get him a good nest and you got to get him some surroundings. You got to get him some adversaries and you got to, you got to let those villains get momentum. You can't beat everybody every night. Steve needed to go through a lot of more struggle and trials and tribulations in my opinion, but we were in a desperate state needed to operating. I got it. Conrad, look at the talent. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. Flair, Hogan, uh, Austin. The only thing missing was rock and he wasn't gone forever. So it's a crazy, it's crazy scenario in my, in my estimation. It's a great example of what you do when you think your back's against the wall and you must create something hot. I'm going to go write a hit song. Well, how do you know it's going to be a hit? You hope it is. You can hear it in your head. You can play the music in your head, but how do you know? There's no guarantee. Right. And there certainly wasn't a guarantee in this. And the, there was no guarantee in the Ric Flair heel turn. Uh, that ratings curse hit him on May 13th. Raw drew its lowest rating since March 30th, 1998. It did a 3.91 rating. It even did poorly in Canada, which means it did less than 597,000 viewers. Um, and this is a show that's coming from Toronto. So it just doesn't feel like we're headed in the right direction here. And unfortunately the bad news keeps coming. We learn that we lose Davy boy Smith on May 17th. And he's only 39 years old. Man. What do you remember when you heard this news? 
I was shocked. You know, uh, last time I had seen Davey, he looked great. Uh, a lot of those guys are look are looking great in the gym, but you wonder, have you, when was the last time you did your medicals? Right. When was the last time you had blood work done? Simple things that we do as a matter of fact, in most lives, but I was, uh, like I said, the last time I saw him, he looked awesome. And, uh, it was a real shocker to be honest with you, real shocker. Uh, so, but 39, come on. He had 10 years left. Yeah. I mean, in the ring, I mean, at least, um, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. As a wrestler, active wrestler, but as a human being, he should have had decades and he's just gone way too soon. And there's so much happening here. I mean, just to recap, we lost Luthez. We lost Davy boy Smith. Uh, unfortunately the plane ride from hell happened. Ratings are down. Um, Hulk Hogan is, is, is trying whatever he can to jumpstart the undertaker's motorcycle bike to keep his nostalgia run alive. And that's not working out. Austin's frustrated. The company's changing names. All of this is going on. And Oh, by the way, we got a pay-per-view and here we are. The reason yep. we're doing this show May 19th, the Gaylord entertainment center. It's in Nashville, Tennessee, the first ever pay-per-view under the WWE banner. And, uh, up first, what a set of talents. Eddie Guerrero is going to retain the intercontinental title, beating Rob Van Dam in 10 minutes and 17 seconds. Meltzer called it a fast open and a decent match, but felt it was a little disappointing. He says Van Dam had a major window of opportunity a few months ago, and now it appears to be closed. Trying to recapture it may prove frustrating. Uh, these two guys are just fantastic. Uh, Grail is going to get the, uh, the win after a backslide with his feet on the ropes. So, you know, there's going to be good action with these two in here. Yeah. But I do think Dave makes a great point. A few months prior, around, uh, let's say less than a year ago, even starting back as far as July, when he and Jeff Hardy tore it up at invasion. 01, it felt like there was a pocket there where we could have made him a main event star. We know he's going to get there, but it's probably three years after this, before that happens. If you had to go back and do it all over again, do you think you could have elevated Rob Van Dam the same way you did Chris Jericho in late Oh one? So where he could have been at that level here. Without a doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you gotta have the balls to make changes. You have, you gotta have balls to change quarterbacks. Uh, you gotta have balls to do these things. And, uh, you know, we apparently didn't have the balls or the commitment or maybe outside influences were manipulating Vince's pattern because Vince is a too smart a promoter to not hear the audience. Van Dam always consistently got a big pop telling me that the audience was glad to see him and we're excited about what he's getting ready to do. Yeah. Uh, and he had a unique style. Nobody else is like RVD. He just didn't, you can't, you shouldn't allow your company to penalize a guy because of his, uh, some of his social outlook out social, uh, uh, situations, IE 420 smoking weed. Who cares? Yeah. As long as you're not, you're not smoking it before your matches and you don't, it doesn't affect your performance or put somebody at risk. But yeah, RVD was a, that was a huge missed opportunity and he would have added youth and at least a youthful feeling Conrad and that unique style. It's just, uh, we've missed the boat on that deal just simply because the office didn't have the confidence that RVD was, uh, reliable in the sense of, well, you know, he's just spoke a little weed. Yeah. He robs banks and uh, come on shit. Uh, but yeah, we missed the boat on that one big time. 
How excited are you and how excited is the rest of the roster that Eddie Guerrero is back, man, after being out for just a little bit, coming back here and uh, having great matches, carrying the intercontinental title, you know what you got with Eddie Guerrero. Do you know it? Oh yeah. Gosh. Yes. One of the best wrestlers in the world. We had a roster Conrad. He started naming these guys that could work, but they had to be given. They had to get in the game, put me in. Let me play. Let me run with the ball. Give me some touches. But, uh, uh, Eddie was just, uh, I mean, the talent we had, I mean, Eddie fit right in, obviously, uh, he was better than probably 99% of the guys we had, uh, and, uh, him coming back and, and after having addressed some of his demons, uh, was a big was for me personally, it was a big win. I was so happy to see him back and Eddie talents loved Eddie and they loved working with Eddie. So when you got a, a litany of guys that come to me and say, Hey, JR, am I booked on the house shows uh week after next and whatever you got that card, those cards booked. If you don't, could I work with Eddie? That happened all the time. And I work with Eddie and if they, the card wasn't booked and it's going to make a talent happy. Well, I shit you out. Cause I know that if you want to work with Eddie, you're motivated. And if he is in the match and knows that you're motivated, you guys will crush it. So getting Eddie back was a big win on a lot of fronts. Next up, we had something, well, a little interesting. Um, you got two of the most beautiful women that ever got into the WWE Trey Stratus and Stacy Keebler, the women's titles on the line, but Stacy Keebler, Lord bless her, probably not supposed to be getting title shots on pay-per-view here. Two minutes and 54 seconds is how long it goes, but it's really the backdrop of a start of a Bubba Ray Devon feud, which I guess is interpromotional because one guy's on raw and one guy's on SmackDown. Yeah, there you go. There you can see there. That's my point. Yes. Why? Yes. Okay. Make a trade. Yes. Uh, create some uh, synergy to where you make a trade and you get Devon and Bubba on the same brand instead of just doing this. Cause it didn't seem fresh. It didn't seem new and, uh, the talents deserve better, but the presentation of Bubba and Devon was not. Uh, up to up to speed in my opinion. So Devon tells Vince that Bubba's not going to be there. And then of course, Bubba comes out and quotes the thou shalt not lie phrase. And the match opened with Keebler missing a kick by four feet that Trish still sells like she was Ric Flair. Uh, Deacon Batista body slams Trish, but she still kicks out. Terrible. Not exactly the way to get a new monster over terrible. Uh, Stratus then gets the pin after a mistimed face buster. And after the match, Bubba and Devon faced off and shook hands. And then Batista went to attack Bubba. Uh, but he got rid of him with no problem. Not exactly the best second impression either. Eventually they double teamed him after Devon closed him from clotheslined him from behind. Devon told Batista to get the tables. And then Bubba made a comeback on both until Deacon hit him with the collection box and gave him a flapjack through the table. Aside from establishing Batista as a bit player from the very start, this angle was okay. Quarter star, but my God, Trish kicks out of a Batista body slam. What? Yeah. I, I, how many geniuses did it take to have a meeting and figure that out? I mean, that was, that was, and I look, I love Trish this very day. I enjoyed seeing her in Liverpool a couple, two or three weeks ago, as we, we referred to before. She looks awesome. She's got a great gig there in Canada on the Canada's got talent and a key player in that show. It's a big show. So she's done great uh, since leaving actively leaving wrestling as a wrestler. Uh, she still looks great. 
but as much as I love her and respect her and I signed her, uh, she was a great talent to recruit, to meet with, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it just, my God, what are we thinking? Are you serious? So I don't, I don't remember how I sold that, but probably wasn't as, if I don't feel it sometimes, Conrad, I'm not a real good actor. Sometimes it's best just to lay out. It's like Steve Harvey says on family feud. Sometimes it's just best to take the X. We, uh, we got Vince and, uh, Ric Flair in a love fest, uh, Meltzer says, which actually should be saved in a time capsule for future generations. Not that there was anything special about the skit. But the portrayal of two guys hugging while you could see they're going to backstab each other is so apropos of the pro wrestling business. And it was more telling in a minute than almost anything you'd see. But man, Flair and Vince were just natural on camera. Were they not? Oh yeah. I mean, you got two of the best talkers ever. So you had anything less than the greatness that we saw would be a huge disappointment with those two guys involved. Let's talk about the next match. We got Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman. And a tag team match taken on the Hardy boys. Meltzer would say there were loud Goldberg chants during this match. Still think Lesnar is selling too much. At least his selling was better. And the jawbreaker spot with Jeff was fine. Lesnar did whatever that move is on Jeff. It's sort of like the old Mark Mero TKO and Heyman screamed for the tag and then got the pin on Jeff. Nothing special as a match, but it seemed to accomplish what it set out to do. It's pretty crazy to think, especially when you look back here, that all these guys are still tearing it up in the wrestling business 20, 20 years later. The Hardy Boys are on top in AEW. Brock Lesnar's on top everywhere he goes. And of course, Paul Heyman, uh, the humble advocate, if you will, is just crushing it for the bloodline. Yeah. And, and here to see Heyman and Brock as a tag team, this is just fun stuff. Yeah. And we talked earlier about, you know, when, when do you know a talent says, uh, it, it stay too long? Well, you know, you can't just make a blanket statement. If a guy's been there blank weeks or blank months or blank years, he's got a, something's got to change. Well, that's your own impatience. Uh, quite frankly, in my view, cause like you said, Heyman is not the most athletic dude. Uh, I mean, Paul Heyman athletically made Jim Cornette look like, uh, you know, Kurt angle. Uh, he just said he wasn't an, he wasn't athletic. However, uh, Paul Heyman is as influential as any other single singular talent in the entire WWE company. And he's done it after all these years. So I'm not a big on the blanket statements. Well, this guy's got to go, or this is too long. He's been here too long, whatever. How do you know that? How, how's this creator, his or her creative been going into this assessment? So, uh, it's just amazing. Talent overcomes everything. If you got great talent and you're smart, you overcome. So next up, we've got uh, Booker T doing an interview with an NWO t-shirt on when a hot mama shows up to seduce him and gives him her hotel room key. And later in the show, we're in the hotel room with the lights out and all of a sudden it's Goldust in the bed. Booker <laughs> turns the lights on. Goldust explains that Booker should stay with him and not be a part of the NWO. Booker runs out wearing almost nothing with a full ass shot. And then Goldust said he had wasted a good nighty. Uh, that of course he's wearing over his wrestling costume. I, I don't know that I love the, uh, the NWO Booker thing, but man, this comedy duo of Booker Goldust really good. It's hilarious. That might yeah. not be box office in terms of these guys are going to be main eventers, but it flexes a muscle that's important on a wrestling show. You got to have something for everybody. 
Yeah. I mean, those guys were just magic together. They were, they had great chemistry. It's natural. Uh, they got along well outside of their on-camera stuff. Uh, they communicated well, in other words, uh, but they had natural comedic chemistry, much like, uh, monsoon and Heenan, uh, back in the day in their roles, they just had natural comedic timing and, uh, you can't manufacture and they had it. The thing about it is, is that you don't want to have that comedy skit being one of five or six comedy skits on the show because it lessens it. It lessens the effectiveness of it. It lessens the humor and the spontaneity. So, uh, don't overexpose your comedy and put a spotlight on the comedy that, you know, has a chance of working and Booker T and, and, and gold certainly, uh, had, uh, those attributes going for them. natural chemistry and they were fun to watch. Next up it's Steve Austin winning handicap match over Ric Flair and big show. Uh, it goes 15 minutes and 36 seconds. Uh, the crowd was very early or very into it. And Meltzer would say, it's weird to see Austin on this early again, flair, not just physically, but working wise looked the best he's looked since coming to WWE. As much as I think he shouldn't be in the ring on TV and rarely on house shows and pay-per-views, he delivered strong here and was better in the ring than everyone. Uh, than all, but a few guys on the show apologies show and flair worked on Austin's leg. Austin came back with a figure four on flair, but show leg drops him early in the match. When both guys were bouncing around for Austin, he put flair in a figure four and show started beating on him to start up the heat. And after a Thez press on flair, Jim Ross actually made reference to the idea that Austin gave flair a Thez press and X-Pac ran in, but ended up kicking show. Austin gives show a stunner X-Pac and then flair to his credit. Austin is still selling the knee big as he went up the ramp to give the impression, the impression he didn't come out unscathed, even though he won. So three and a quarter stars, but Austin's on fourth and it's a handicap match. And it just feels like kind of throwaway creative, but man, the crowd was into it. They want Austin. However, they can get him. Absolutely. And that's the frustrating part of this sometimes. You don't have to look and look and look to, to overcome a creative snafu. You got the guy now build some heels around him, make a heel factory. As they say, back in the old locker room days, you need a heel factory. And, uh, it's just, you ain't gotta look hard, but we, but we tried to make it hard sometimes. Uh, and there's sometimes there was this, I think, a almost like a political agenda that we needed to. We need a different, we need a new, we need to change, change for change sake. is always a kiss of death. And, uh, but we had the guy right there in stone cold. They, st- the audience would still invest merchandise wise, which we knew the records of that and how that was going. They would still buy tickets. They would still give a big pop. They still were all attuned to what Steve was doing. And, uh, but it was, I didn't have a big issue with him going on early. But it was different. I will say that it was certainly different, but it gave some other guys a chance. It's like I told them, well, you got a chance to steal a show. You got a chance to get all that spotlight. That's your time. So, uh, I, I could see your, your consternation on it. I can, I can, uh, I can appreciate it, but it, it didn't affect me in a negative way. Like it may have affected you. Let's talk about, uh, the next piece of business here, because it is something people are still talking about to this day. 
It's Edge and Kurt Angle in a hair match. And I know what you're thinking. Man, when has there ever been a good hair match? Well, we might have found the one. These guys have a four and a half star match. They get plenty of time, 15 minutes and 30 seconds. Meltzer said, you have to give angle all the credit in the world here because he did the best job of elevating a new star for real all the way without muffing it by confusing the finish since Mick Foley and triple H. And that was years ago. And that's also part of the problem, whether edge makes it or not. It was very clear. The idea of this was to make it his breakthrough and you can't fault angles work in trying. So the match, and I highly recommend it. I think everybody should go out of their way to see it. It's a really good match. It's back and forth. Um, eventually edge gets the pin with an inside cradle. And after the match angle attacks him again, teasing that he's going to lay him out and not take the haircut, but edge hits his finish. The implant DDT, the education, if you will, and angle manages to run off before getting the haircut. And they did a skit later in the show where edge is chasing him. Angle's trying to hide to avoid the haircut. And finally, before the main event angle gets the advantage, brings edge out, throws him off the ramp into a makeshift barber shop. Edge comes back and puts angle in the chair, gets the sleeper hold and shaves his head with him out. When angle is revived, he sees himself and angle puts it over so strong, but he winds up doing quote unquote, buddy Roberts heat, which is fun. Mid card heat. Unfortunately, angle has to do something other than fun. Mid card from this point forward. Four and a half stars. I get what Dave is saying that edge is a, is is a rising star. And this is a bit of a comedy thing because it's hair, but angle is this serious ass kicker, but it wound up being a great match and a really memorable skit, Jim. Yeah. And the thing about it, Conrad, is that you, 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 uh, you, you really love the fact that the buddy Rob Roberts heat Melser's words, not mine. Uh, you can do worse. Buddy Roberts had a lot of heat. He, he, he worked, he filled his role very well with the Freebirds uh, for years, as we know. So I don't know if I agree with that, uh, Buddy Roberts heat being a bad thing, or is this going to, this is, is this one match going to uh, earmark that uh, Kurt is a comedy guy? No, but I think it's a little overreaction by Melcher on that one. But I, I, look, he gave the match, what, four and a quarter, four and a half stars? Yeah, four and a half. That's pretty damn good by his scale. I don't know what the, how those stars are accumulated or how they're, how they are, they are, you arrive at that, but no matter how that's a hell of a match. And I'm not one to say, well, I'm going to find something that I can criticize or find something that I can, uh, you know, bust their balls. Cause that's, I feel like that's my job. Four and a half stars. Come on. Fantastic. Uh, Melser would say there'd been talk of, uh, having triple H and Jericho go on last feeling that match would be the match to steal the show. And, uh, undertaker Hogan was just going to stink, but the res- reverse decision was made. So go the other way. And instead up next is triple H and Chris Jericho and Meltzer said it was a very good match, but to many, it was a letdown because the hell in the cell structure brings back memories of matches that it simply couldn't touch without resorting to major risks, which the company honestly just can't afford with so many guys being injured. And the attempt was to use blood and weapons to take place of the sick bump spot, which triple a was triple H was probably for, but still 
The finish is a pedigree on top of the cage to win the hell in a cell, but the crowd was quiet early and it's tough because you've got lots of quote unquote gimmicks and Gaga. I like the match. Meltzer gave it three and three quarter stars, but I do think he's on the money, man. We have set a, an expectation now, right or wrong that my goodness, uh, somebody's got to be thrown off the top of something and it's got to yeah. be a stuntman affair or else we feel a little let down, right? Yeah. The Mick Foley bump in, uh, June of 1998 lingers. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I can understand rightfully so I mean, it's unbelievable. I wouldn't ever recommend it ever happening again. I don't think it ever will happen to that degree. It's just hard. It's hard to go recapture something and rewind it. Conrad the second time around. Yeah. You got to come up with something else. And so then unfortunately then the thought process, well, somebody's got to go higher. Somebody's got to, you know, take one of those Shane McMahon death drops or something. And to me, that's a bad trend, man. It's a bad trend, quite frankly. Uh, so instead of, uh, memorializing the Foley bump, we try to top it and it wasn't no topic for it. It was, it was, it was, it was extraordinary. And I hope, again, as I said, I hope we never see another one again. I don't want to be no buddy daddy, but shit, you know, I don't know if Mick Foley was ever the same. And I know that we've dodged a bullet there, how he landed. He landed at my feet. I was pretty close to the action. It was scary and shit. I just didn't, I was immediately calling for medical help because I didn't see how a human being could endure what we just saw. And so. Those hell in a cell matches are, they had, they had, is a bad trend. So, uh, but I thought the finish, uh, the pedigree on the top of the cage is pretty cool. I mean, just seeing the walls of Jericho on top of the cage is cool. Having the referee climb on the cage for the finish is cool. A DDT through a table was cool. Uh, we've got the, bo- uh, the, the chair shots. We've even got a barbed wire board. I mean, we're doing lots of crazy stuff here. Uh, but I still feel like people are just waiting on this big, this big bump. Um, they were, they were, you're right. They were, they were waiting. They were waiting around. And now what are you going to, what do you got for me now? Type thing. Next up is a let me up match. Uh, I guess I should mention before we keep going, this hell in a cell is ultimately the match that cost Tim white his career, which is pretty sad. I mean, obviously it was nobody ever wants to see anybody get hurt, but as the old saying goes, it ain't ballet, Yeah. but man, Tim white getting hurt here. Meltzer would say Tim white took actually the best looking bump of the match when Jericho collided with him on the apron and he flew into the cage with the idea that he hit his head on a thick metal part of the cage white juiced. Well, the reality is while they have this, this whole referee bump and that's the way they open the door and blah, blah, blah. I get all that, but man, it cost him his whole freaking career. We, we never saw him referee again. And oh. Big loss. I don't think he was ready to go when he was reliable. I, I, I stay in a decent contact, uh, with Timmy. He's lives, he lives down here in Florida. Uh, he's long since the days of the friendly tap, uh, nice place to drink beer back in the day. Uh, that was a big loss, but the thing about it is that we knew that once Timmy got over the hump of healing some of his wounds, uh, he'd always have a job there. And he did for many years after that, uh, Vince was very loyal to Timmy in that regard. And then when the, the time came that Timmy had to move on, then Vince was un, unloyal and he was this and that, but, uh, 
Timmy was a very valuable member of the team and a hell of a referee. He made the referee job seem like it's not a gimmick. It's real. And I thought that was a great accomplishment. Next up, uh, Rico and Rikishi beat Billy and Chuck in three minutes and 50 seconds to win the WWE tag team titles. Rico came out with Billy and Chuck, then paused for a long time before announcing Rikishi's partner, which Howard Finkel got from an envelope. Rico acted all freaked out to get the baby face pop, but the fans weren't buying it. And the crowd was dead. Uh, afterwards, uh, Rikishi left and danced Rico leaves with Billy and Chuck, and he's happy to grab his tag belt because he and Rikishi are now the tag champions. Not a great match, but it is a let me up match. I guess it served its purpose. Meltzer didn't yeah. love it though. He gave it a uh, half a star. Yeah. Well, that's not, un- that's not surprising. No, uh, uh, that you know, I, look, uh, I thought. I don't think that the company did Billy and Chuck any favors. The gimmick was dead from day one. And both of them are good talents. Billy Gunn, especially was just a hell of a worker still. Hey, look, I saw Billy work the other day on the dark match at, uh, AEW. The son of this can still go. He can still go. He looks great. Uh, he's he slowed things down. He tells good stories, but, uh, we didn't do those guys, uh, a lot of favors with this hanging that gimmick on there. The, and again, playing on the sexual thing, Billy and Chuck, are they gay? Does it matter? Why does it matter? So it, it's like, so in other words, we're going to build an angle on homophobia. What the fuck are we thinking? Right. That makes no sense. So, uh, and it's like, I don't know. It's, I just don't believe I don't, I'm not big on those angles where it's involving religion or politics. And to me, this is a political hot, hot button. And of course you're looking to draw that unique pop and get, oh, well, I got to watch these guys some more. This is really cool. It wasn't really cool and it didn't work. Next up it's the undertaker. It's the undertaker and Hulk Hogan in 11 minutes and 17 seconds. Meltzer would say undertaker came out to new music and there's a feeling the missing ingredient is a weakness on the heel side. Angle has been booked as a clown. Jericho is trying, but people don't see him as enough of a threat. Flair is great at being a heel, but nobody wants to hate him. And his age hurts him as being a physical threat. And they also want to cheer the undertaker. Although he works strong by not doing much bumping or selling. That's the physical threat part he's got, but he's just been around so long. He's almost a tired act on top. They took his entrance music away because he was getting a huge face pop with it. If anything, that was living proof about entrance pops. He got zero reaction coming out and it was the same guy in his biggest match in a long time, only because he had different music. They traded belt shots early, very much like one of those terrible Hogan WCW main events. Hogan worked on his knee or undertaker worked on his knee, including wrap it around the post and the post contained, or the mask contained some of the worst brawling you'll ever see north of AAA. Hogan did the big boot poorly timed and went for a leg drop, but undertaker blocked it and turned it into a half crab. Undertaker then delivered what may have been the worst choke slam in history. Hogan just wouldn't go up and Undertaker didn't muscle him. Hogan kicked out of the pen and hulked up. Undertaker sold the Hogan comeback about as bad as anyone ever. He hit the leg drop and Undertaker kicked out. Vince comes down. Hogan kicks a chair into Undertaker's face, but Vince had Earl Hebner distracted. And this may have been the spot where Undertaker's lip was logistic, but busted open and he bit his tongue. 
Hogan pounded on Vince and gave him a leg drop. Undertaker then gave Hogan a chair shot to the upper back and a second choke slam, which was slightly better than the first one, but he put him down even easier for the pin. And you'd have to go back years to find a WWF pay-per-view main event this bad. Undertaker pounded on Hogan with a chair after the match as well. Quarter star. It's just not great, dude. And, you know, Hogan had seemingly been getting huge reactions a little tweak with the undertaker's music. And it's like the fans all of a sudden aren't with it, but that choke slam, I'll never forget being in the arena and thinking, and, and I just feel bad for the guys because you know, that's not what they intended when they started. Right. Yeah. It was just, we talked earlier about styles and we, uh, the Austin Hogan thing. Austin didn't have the match with Hogan because he didn't want to have the match that the undertaker did. Uh, Hogan was, you know, battered, beat up, multiple back surgeries. Every it's funny when people say, "What's the really important things to learn in in getting pro wrestling training?" Well, you got to learn to take a great flat back bump, because about ninety eight percent of the stuff that you see ends with a flat back bump. So being able to execute a flat back bump, which sounds very simple, and it is, but a lot of guys spend no time on it. They'd rather spend more time on tope suicidas and shit like that than how to sell or how to take a flat back. So, uh, but it, it I'll, I'll say this, the match did not, was not an artistic success as we've agreed on, uh, as Meltzer, even I'll, I'll agree with him on this one, but it wasn't because those guys didn't work their ass off. You know, you got a, uh, a guy that's got a bad back and he's not a spring chicken. And, you know, he worked his ass off. Taker tried to do all he could to make the match a success. Uh, but. It just didn't get the job done. And, uh, that's sad to say when you're talking about two legends, legit legends like taker and, uh, uh, and Hulk. The choke slam, we're going to put it up on social so you guys can see it, but Lord, it's just less than ideal. By the way, it doesn't do terribly at the pay-per-view. Uh, you get 373,000 buys here. That is down 30,000 from backlash and 37,000 down from judgment day. one. Uh, but it was a different company a year prior. Still 373,000 buys is solid. Unfortunately though, it's the lowest buys for a pay-per-view until no way out. Oh, three, which is going to be headlined by rock and Hogan. Um, it does feel like, you know, it's we trendy. lost momentum. Yes. We had no momentum. We yes. had no, uh, nothing rolling for us. Well, this is getting hot. Uh, and that was not what we were looking for. I can promise you. So again, you gotta, you gotta book carefully and you got a book with a lot of egos in mind. You don't want to hurt people's feelings. Uh, you know, you got a pecking order that's, that exists in every territory I ever worked in since the seventies. There's a pecking order. And, uh, we, we just, we had all those masters to serve and it was just some of the wrong pieces of the puzzle that were being put into play. It was an interesting time in the business though. Unfortunately, fans at home didn't love it. The readers of the wrestling observer gave it 38.8% thumbs up 28.9% thumbs down and 32.4% thumbs in the middle. Um, I got to go thumbs in the middle. There was enough good stuff and enough nostalgia on here for me to think it was cool, but I can't say it's one of the best pay-per-views ever. Uh, let's do some questions here. John wants to know, was there tension between Hogan and Taker after the match? 
Uh, not that I'm aware of. You know, I don't, I don't think if both guys are being totally honest, that neither were, were going to be totally happy with the, 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 the way the match was played out. But as far as having uh, issues or things like that, if it was, if that did happen, it was done very uh, discreetly. And, but I don't think it happened. Uh, I don't think, I don't remember any, look, they worked their ass off. That's the first thing for me. You worked your ass off. It just didn't get over. Uh, Yambag Jones wants to know who hated being split up more Devon or Bubba. Well, I don't know for the answer to that, but I will tell you that in the long run, it being in a single helped Bubba more than it did Devon. I thought that, uh, all that religious stuff and yeah. preaching and the, you know, all that, uh, you know, Bubba thought he was Reverend TD Jakes for a while. That uh, great charismatic, uh, black evangelist that's out of Texas. Uh, he's, uh, he's really, really good too. As a matter of fact, I catch it every now and then on, he's got TVs everywhere, but, uh, I just didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't charm me. The, the religious component just didn't, didn't work for me, but I think Bubba had a better run after the breakup than did Devon. Uh, Brad wants to know, were you burnt out on hell in the cell matches by this point? I think hell in the cell should be once a year in a story and, uh, at, at least 12 months separation. And that's, that'd be once a year. Duh. Uh, but yeah, I, it was, it wasn't cool anymore. We had too much of it. And, uh, that's like having a first blood match every week. At some point in time, you don't give a shit. The guy's bleeding or his guts are hanging out. Uh, so yeah, I, I, it was getting, it was getting more challenging because the talents themselves were anxious because the, how do we top Foley's bump? Foley and Taker's going to they got the, they set the mark. So, uh, and quite frankly, there's no answer to that. You don't top that bump. Uh, middle kingdom wrestling. And you're going to love this question says, do you have any advice on how to call a segment when something goes wrong or not as planned? For example, like the motorcycle, not starting as mentioned before, is it better to not sell it or try to explain it away? Well, you got to kind of feel it. It's a feel thing. Uh, and you got to try to salvage it as best you can and maintain the integrity on your talents, uh, as best you can. I didn't ad lib as we talked about earlier on the, uh, motorcycles, not starting. I wasn't sure that was part of the new part of the deal. I, I didn't know. Cause that's, again, there's a blessing and a curse about having information on finishes and things like that. Uh, I'd rather not know, but sometimes it can be challenging on how you're going to fill the time in a positive way. It's not easy. It's not automatic. Uh, Michael McClanahan says, what are JR's thoughts on this particular version of the undertaker's character? Did Jim prefer the dead man gimmick or the evil biker gimmick? Oh, the dead man gimmick by far. I didn't, didn't hate the evil biker thing, but I really just absolutely love dead man. gimmick. I still do. That's one of my favorite all time TV personas in ring personas, if you will. But, uh, I didn't hate, it was kind of a cool thing the dead man, the biker deal, but it didn't take long for me to say, I wish we had the other guy back. 
Well, we're going to be back before you know it. And we're going to be talking about all things. Jake, the snake Roberts will follow up with Ron Simmons. Then we're going to hit a, a watch along from June 9th, 1997. We'll make time for beach blast 92. And of course, another ask Jr. anything, lots of fun stuff coming up here before you know it, Jim, you yep. get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. But as if, little as low as $9 a month, brother, come on now. And as soon as I hang up with you, Jim, and this is a real story. I'm running into my kitchen and I'm going to go ahead and season what I'm grilling tonight. And you know, what seasoning I'm using, baby. I got That's it right. at jrsbbq.com. Tell us about it. It's like a sore ding dong. You can't beat it. Uh, it's good stuff, man. I, I uh, our, our business is we're in the middle of barbecue season at jrsbbq.com. Uh, the seasoning is still kicking ass because it's so versatile. You can use it on just about. I haven't found anything that I've tried with our seasoning that didn't work. And I kind of judge it by that because I'm not a chef. I'm a, I'm a weekend griller, so to speak. So yeah, that's some good stuff. Our, our JR's original barbecue sauce seller, number one seller, we got some real cool gift boxes and things like that. You know, father, there's a thing called father's day coming up. Of course, my dad was here to celebrate it with me. And if you've got a father still alive and I know Conrad, you're blessed that you do. Yes, sir. Uh, it's a big deal, man. So, uh, and, and, and food and food items are always a good uh, gift. I think we got those little, little Moscow mule mugs and all kinds of stuff. So some real neat things to cost, as I said, cost nothing to look at jrsbbq.com and the store's always open, always open. So it's pretty cool. I'm, uh, you know, we're going to be in Vegas for several days coming up and, uh, pay-per-views raws or raws. Yeah, we're not going to do raw there. I put that on TV, uh, but doing, uh, pay-per-views and, 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 uh, dynamite rampage. We're going to be all over Vegas. So if you're coming to Vegas, you got a lot of options to see what we do in AEW. I think it's the most important week in the history of the AEW company. Uh, coming up in Vegas, uh, the stakes are high. Uh, people have high, high expectations and we've got some amazing matches that I sure are going to deliver. You know, I think hangman Adam page versus CM punk is going to be a classic. No doubt. going to be a classic. They're going to tell a great story. They're going to beat the shit out of each other and, uh, may the best man wins all I can say. So I'm looking forward to going to Vegas. Cause I've always said, I, I follow the Arn Anderson theory, Conrad, my fat looks better Brown than white. <laughs> Accurate. Yeah. So I'm going to be, uh, seriously, we're going to, it's going to be fun. Uh, great food. See a lot of fans, big houses, a lot of enthusiasm. It's a really cool opportunity for those of us that have invested the last three years or so in, uh, AEW. You know, uh, I, I don't think I've we've made this announcement. You know, I, I signed an extension with AEW here not too long ago. There you go. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate Tony Khan's uh, confidence and, uh, his, uh, willingness to keep me on the team and, and contribute. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to go for a, we're not going a long time, but, uh, you know, I think I signed about a year and a half or something like that, uh, to, uh, to stay in the position I'm in and, uh, I'm just uh, really pleased that, uh, at 70, I still have a future and at 70, I'm still loving what I do. 
So anybody that says you're too old, fuck yourself. Oh. How's that? Yeah, go ahead. Just pull it out and fuck yourself. You're telling me what I should do. Stay home and die. You're, you're dictating that I don't deserve, uh, to continue this career. I want to get to 2024. You will. I really do. And that's 50 years, 50 years in the wrestling business. And not a lot of guys can say they were in the basic same job within a, in a fickle, crazy ass, unpredictable, uh, uh, business like pro wrestling for 50 years. And if the good Lord's uh, looking down and cutting me a break, getting me get to 50. I'll be happiest guy in, in Norman, Oklahoma. Well said, Mr. Ross, glad to be with you. Glad to call you a friend. Glad to get this time to catch up with you every week and can't wait to do it next week. Folks don't miss it. We're talking Jake Roberts, one of the greatest minds in the history of the business, one of the most charismatic performers and a promo like nobody else. And we're going to talk about it in long form next week, right here on grilling Jr. with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. And not to kill your clothes, Conrad, but uh, there's been some. Yeah, I said some stuff uh, that about Jake's health. You know, his breathing issues. Uh, he de- denies that he's as probably as sickly as I portrayed him to be, and maybe he's right. He'll know better than me. Sure. Uh, but I know that uh, his health has been challenging. He's got a breathing machine, uh, oxygen he carries with him. Uh, to me, that's not normal. Uh, but he's dealing with it and he's under great doctor's care. So I said, I didn't, I didn't want to start some bullshit about, you know, Jake, cause it, it, it might affect his bookings. It might affect his, uh, well, I don't, I was going to sign Jake for appearance, but I heard uh, JR say he wasn't in good health. So maybe I'll pass on that. Don't pass on Jake Roberts for doing anything. No, uh, let it go. Put him to work, man. That's, that's going to be the best medicine you can give the guy. Don't put him to put him to work. And, uh, and, and you'll be happy that you did. So I didn't intend, nor do I now to start stir the shit, but, uh, it was just an update on a guy that I respect that changed his life a great deal. And, uh, I can only hope that he continues to change in a positive way and, uh, and continues to reap the benefits. You know, a lot of guys are telling me because the COVID restrictions are lessened that, uh, they're, they're making more money on the on the weekend, uh, conventions and signings and stuff than ever before. So it's like Starcast. more people are going to be at that Starcast than any other, in my predict or any other Starcast that you promoted because people can travel. They can get to where you want to go. It's a good deal. So, uh, but anyway, I just want to clear that up a little bit, but I appreciate uh, the opportunity to do so. And Conrad, you, we had a good show today. I appreciate your, uh, preparedness and, and your, uh, work ethic. You're special. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you too, man. And I can't wait to do it again next week. We'll see you next week, folks. Jake, the snake Roberts on deck right here on grill and JR. See everybody. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.